Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminists, thriller writers, and conversation about female characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and today I am so excited to be interviewing young adult novelist Kylie Shakti. Kylie graduated from Sarah Lawrence College, where she studied writing, theater, and psychology. And currently, she lives in Portland, Oregon, where she works as a tutor and mentor to a group of badass teenage girls. Her first novel is called You're Next, and at the time uh, that this podcast airs, it will already be out, so you can get it wherever books are sold. So hi, Kylie. Hey. So excited to have you on. We've been looking forward to this for a while, um, because your book, You're Next, is like classic, classic, unlikable female character <laughs> literature, I would say. <laughs> I mean, that means everything to me to hear that. Um, yes, Flora is, and actually like most of the girls in the book, I think are deeply unlikable in, in their own various ways. Um, they're all complicated and, and uh, you know, don't really give a fuck. They do not give a fuck. Yeah, I got to read this as an arc and I like could not put it down. And this is another book that I read it during the pandemic, like earlier in the pandemic when I couldn't concentrate on anything, but this book like took me away from my my troubles. Oh gosh, thank you. That is so nice of you to say. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard now to concentrate on anything so you like know a book is really good. <laughs> totally. Yes, yes, exactly. So could you tell us a little bit about your next and like the plot, what inspired it? Totally. Um, So kind of the premise of the book is about this teenage detective named Flora Calhoun, who when she was a freshman in high school, she woke up and went for a run one morning and found the pretty brutally murdered body of one of her classmates. Um, And that really traumatizing incident is what inspired her to um, become a detective. And so she's been spending the last couple of years uh, solving cases in her school, you know, like stolen laptops, cheating, significant others, that kind of thing. Um, And at the start of the book, uh, she, her like kind of ex, kind of not, it's complicated, uh, girlfriend um, is murdered. Um, Flora gets a call from her needing help and she you know races to help her and doesn't get there in time she's already been shot when she arrives um and she becomes kind of obsessed with solving this case i mean not kind of she becomes very obsessed with solving this case um and along the way you know she lives in one of these like really quiet suburban towns in the northeast she lives in like westchester new york um and in the process of uncovering uh what happened to her ex-girlfriend ava she uncovers all of these really dark and deadly secrets um, lurking under the surface of this seemingly perfect, pristine town, um, including, uh, I never know if this is a spoiler or not because it's shown up in the reviews, but including this um, like teen fight club that a lot of the kids in her school are participating in. It's kind of like tearing apart the fabric of her community. Um, and Ava is involved in some kind of mysterious way, potentially, um, that led to her death. Yeah, I don't think it's a spoiler because your book, I've always seen it comped as Riverdale meets Fight Club. So like if there wasn't a Fight Club, I would be like, excuse me, I want my money back. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Kind of people Um, punching each other. Right. Uh, But yeah, so as far as inspiration goes, I often tell the story of um, I was writing another book. It's like a middle grade fantasy, something way, way different um, and struggling with it a lot. And so I was like drinking a glass of wine and watching... Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer one night feeling sorry for myself Um, and um, as I was watching I was like this is the kind of thing I want to write I want to write something that's super fun and kind of campy um, and you know it's going to feel super action-packed and it's just like the thing that I the kinds of things that I want to read or want to watch I want to just like have fun while I'm writing it 
Um, and so that was really what set me off on this path. I had this idea about this like teenage private eye. Um, and kind of the, the question that I was asking about at the time was, um, you know, what, you know, we have so many um, just like miserable failures of our criminal justice system in the states and what does a 16 year old girl potentially bring to questions about justice that um you know the people who are currently in power wouldn't necessarily um you know have that in their arsenal so she is some as a teenage girl she is somebody who is um seen by society as being inherently vulnerable or weak um what does it mean for her to um, come to these questions of justice and who gets it and who doesn't and who we think is a deserving victim and all of those kinds of things. Um, so I, I started with this kind of idea of it being this really like fun action, you know, Buffy kind of thing. And pretty much immediately as I started writing it, I ran into this issue of like, at the core of the book is a dead girl. Um, and I think, especially with the rise of like true crime and things like that in the last few years, one of the things I've had to grapple with is, you know, we consume so many of these things like cereal or making a murder or whatever um, that are for entertainment. And yet at the core of those stories is like somebody's and many people's lives who have been sort of irrevocably ruined um, by like horrible tragedy and violence. Um, and so those two things kind of feel like they're hard to hold together at the same time. Like the like badass girl who's like um, kicking down doors and taking names, but at the same time, this like really terrible thing that is um, destroying lives, just murder. Um, and so trying to juggle those two things, I think, became the inherent tension of the book. Um, of And that really speaks back to that question of like, well, what does a 16 year old girl bring to questions of justice that, um, you know, a cop or a traditional detective or what have you wouldn't necessarily be able to, um, you know, have the same perspective. And I think when I was writing it, so much of what I was originally driven to write and what made it fun for me was those big action scenes of her like driving a getaway car, like punching people or whatever. Um, and yet the sort of core of the book had to really be about empathy and grief and trauma um, and vulnerability. Yeah, you do such a great job of portraying her trauma from like the previous case that really set her on this path. I mean, she's she's like fucked up, you know, like as yeah. anyone would be by this situation. She's a character who has a, a past that really colors all of her, not just like the way she's approaching these cases, but all of her interactions with the characters around her. And yeah, I thought that was so well done. It gives us so much more psychological depth. She's not just this ass kicking strong woman. I mean, she is strong, but there's a lot going on with Flora. Yeah, I think, you know, um, the thing that was important for me there is that her trauma is in a lot of ways what drives her. It's what inspires her to, you know, start taking on these cases and things like that. It's what um, her her failure to solve the first case, um, you know, she, she starts off when she finds this step body of her classmate when she's a freshman. She becomes obsessed with solving that case too and is unsuccessful. And it's that failure that really drives her, her obsession, I think, with solving um, Ava's murder in the actual book. Um, so it's obviously like a major motivating factor, but I think it's it was really important to me to show how like her inability to deal with her trauma means that she gets stuff wrong a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, her just her um, taking on of these cases is 
in, on the one hand, motivated by a desire to do what's right and to find justice for people who um, otherwise would never get it. Um, but it's also a way of her avoiding all of her feelings and her past. Um, she kind of takes on this persona of being the detective, and that is her um, way of escaping what has happened to her. And as a result of that, she often like makes pretty massive mistakes that get herself hurt, put other people in danger. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's that double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like I did read some of the the Goodreads reviews because you know how I love reviews. Like <laughs> the bad author who reads Goodreads, and there were a number of people who mentioned that Flora is unlikable or that they just like couldn't connect with her and first of all I got kind of like mad actually (laughs) reading that I was like kind of defensive of her because I'm just like on her behalf because she is like she's been through some shit she's trying her best like she does make a lot of mistakes and like do some dumbass things but she's a teenage girl like I don't understand I feel like a lot of adults read YA and bring this like expectation of behavior and psychological maturity to the characters that like we uh, ourselves as teenagers certainly could not meet like we were all idiots when we were teenagers and like some people are still idiots now you know what I mean absolutely and I think that something that um this is really reminiscent of for me that drives me crazy is so my background is working with teenage girls I tutor them mentor them I'm kind of like a low-rent therapist um but Uh, I feel like especially right now with so much of the narrative around Gen Z being about how they're like so activist and they're so powerful and they, um, you know, are so advanced and progressive beyond what like previous generations of teens were. You know, you Mm -hmm. think about like a lot of the narratives around somebody like Greta Thunberg, for instance, and how much um, like adulthood and agency we kind of project onto her. Um, in a lot of ways that's earned, I mean, obviously somebody like that or somebody like Flora is doing incredible things that are so far beyond their years. Um, but I see this a lot with like the kids that I work with. Um, I have in a lot of ways working with the girls that I work with inspired, um, Flora because I was able to see firsthand how just sort of like badass and strong and powerful they are, but they're still fucking kids, you know, Mm -hmm. like they, they care about things so deeply in a way that is so powerful, Um, And I mean powerful, like in the truest, like active, strong kind of sense. Um, Like there's a tremendous amount of bravery and like ballsiness in the way that they care about things, but they don't actually have a whole lot of um, like savviness about how the world works. Like they just haven't had that experience or um, they don't often have like language to describe um, exactly what they're thinking um and they're still kind of like figuring things out so the heart is really there and the caring is really there um about these big issues that extend far beyond themselves but they're not necessarily um like super educated in like the exact way to talk about all of these things yet and i just feel like um you know with flora especially since she is living in this like criminal justice space where she's kind of trying to right wrong like larger societal wrongs um on the one hand that's incredibly commendable and i like i personally admire her so much as a person who is saw something that was wrong in the world was like i'm not gonna just stand here i'm gonna try and fix this because if i don't do something about this nobody will um but she's still a kid like she's not um 
she doesn't have like a master's degree in like criminal justice and Mm -hmm. um, reform or whatever. She hasn't spent like years, um, you know, working within the system, learning like she just doesn't know shit. And so she makes mistakes because of that. You can see her kind of actively figuring stuff out as she's piecing things together and, and how you know, she has this sense that something is wrong in the world, but she is still trying to figure out and articulate like what she thinks needs to happen to fix it. And because of that, she makes a lot of mistakes along the way. So I think there's a tendency that kind of swings in both directions of like we either infantilize teenage girls and treat them like they have no agency whatsoever and they their ideas are meaningless, or we kind of like over idolize them and they're going to be like our saviors, the children are the future kind of thing. But it's like at the end of the day, they are still kids and they're not they shouldn't be expected to get everything perfect and right all the time because we sure as hell didn't when we were kids yeah and you know if the criminal justice system was working correctly she wouldn't have to do this and if the government was working correctly Greta wouldn't have to save us from climate change right like it's just these expectations that are put on them is really unfair yes I mean absolutely like should be commended for all of the incredible and brave things that they do but like frankly they should be able to just go to school and not worry about these things um yeah absolutely well i love flora i like every time i describe this book i'm like she's a teen detective disaster bisexual and i would die for her like that's what i <laughs> i just love her i i don't know like i i really felt for her and uh, like you see her making mistakes and you just like like feel for her because you are so in her head you understand like why she's doing the things she's she's doing i don't know yeah, I mean, that can shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that means a lot to hear, honestly, because I think when I first started writing the book, I as, as close and intimate as I feel with Flora, like her, I for a while, especially when I was in the early stages of drafting this, I was like thinking in her voice. Oh, wow. Um, but I did not identify with her in any kind of way. I'm so not the like action, like, um, you know, Flora is like not a particularly communicative person. She does she struggles to, um, you know, explain herself to, um, you know, articulate her emotions, things like that. Um, she'd rather like punch somebody or like run away, um, than have a conversation about her feelings. And I'm so not that, um, <laughs> but so I, at, at the beginning, when I first started writing her, I just felt like she was this totally different type of person for me, like completely separate. We're not alike in any kind of way. Um, and of course, like as I've gotten closer and closer to the book coming out, I've had I've had a lot of like self-realizations about how she and I are actually a lot more similar than I thought. Um, and so I feel so kind of like tender and vulnerable about her in a way that I, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel about another character that I write again. Um, I mean, I'm, I know I'm working on another book now. I love those characters dearly, dearly, but they don't feel like this. They don't feel like my arm or something that's like attached to me mm-hmm. um, in the way that I feel about Flora. So it's I'm glad to hear that people are, um, you know, really connecting with that sort of like emotional vulnerability that she has underneath this hard and prickly shell. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like that either, but I know what you mean about being so attached to a character. Like, that's sort of how I feel about Kira from my first book, Temper. Like, I'm nothing like her, at least not on on the surface, but I feel she feels like a real person to me. It's not even so much that I, like, relate to her. She just feels like a, a real person. So when people say mean things about her, it feels very personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, I mean, part of that, I I don't know if this is the case for you, but especially since Your Next is my first book, and I actually, this is the first book I ever wrote all the way through to the end, so I was really Wow, that's amazing. 
Thank you. Uh, I was like learning how to write a book while I was writing it. Um, and so part of me does feel like, you know, Flora was was there like learning how to figure this out alongside me. Um, you know, she we were doing a whole lot of experimentation to figure out like how to make a character. Um, so I think part of it is that like, um, you know, she was like so present for all of that sort of personal growth as a writer, too. Mm hmm. So our topic on the podcast for this month is the strong female character, which you actually suggested to us, and I'm so glad you did. Yes. <laughs> we had uh, we already recorded our like discussion episode about the archetype, and it was interesting, some of the things that came up, because like, I came at it from, I-, I don't know, I'm a big nerd. I watch a lot of like comic book movies and Star mm-hmm. Wars and stuff, so I was like automatically thinking of the sort of ass-kicking, like warrior princess sort of strong female character. And then Wendy and Kristen brought up more like uh, Wendy, for example, brought up like the idea of the the mother of mm-hmm. the woman who like sacrifices everything for her family and like never shows that she needs anything like that as kind of a strong female character. Um, I, I don't know, like how do you think Flora is kind of in conversation with this this archetype? Totally. Um, yeah, I think to me. And granted, a lot of this is stuff I've thought about, like, since writing the book. You know, it's I, I won't say that I this is what I set out originally to do, but I read this really great piece by Britt Marling, who wrote um, and starred in The OA, I think, on Netflix. She wrote this oh, piece in the New York Times um, about the strong female lead um, and how basically the idea of type the type of um you know strong female character that you're talking about the like comic book action hero um which i feel like is is more in keeping with who flora is um is really just sort of like a new manifestation of toxic masculinity this idea that Mm -hmm. like in order for a woman to be strong enough to lead her own story she basically has to be a traditional man's role but like with boobs basically um and i think that what i was this goes back to what i was saying before about that kind of tension between i wanted to write the super fun and can't be action thing but i also wanted it to have this kind of like core of trauma and like um, emotional vulnerability um flora is kind of trying to like like actively trying on her own part to make herself that strong female lead it's almost like she's written this archetype for herself in her head that she is projecting herself into um of the character who is you know kicking ass taking names um you know cracking skulls all of that kind of stuff because it's way easier to be active um than it is to um have to sit there with your feelings, basically. There's a line um, in that piece by Britt Marling where she says something to the effect of like, um, you know, obviously it's better to have a gun in your hand than be the one that the gun is pointed at. But like, mm-hmm. why do we need to have guns in the scene at all, basically? Um, and not not just speaking like literally about guns, but just like maybe we can rethink the in- inherent framework of what it what strength looks like for women. But I think like, Flora very much is she's made the choice that she'd rather have the gun in her hand um and to her like the gun the barrel that she's staring down is like having to actually face her own grief and trauma over what has happened to her um I mean she finds this like body of her classmate who has been beaten to death and left um 
in the middle of a running trail in the woods at 14 years old. And I just, she talks about this a bit in the story about how she feels as though the sort of like veneer on the world has been stripped away of like all the lies that were told growing up of everything's okay, people are fundamentally decent, whatever. She's been kind of like stripped of all of that deception and she has seen the real truth of the world. But, um, you know, all the kids that she goes to school with, all the people in her life kind of just want to go back to this sort of optimistic view and she can't unsee what she has seen. And so um, rather than have to face that head on, she she kind of flattens herself into this stereotype. Um, and I think, you know, this is one of the ways in which like Flora and I are very similar. I think, uh, not so much the strong girl, but, um, that was like very much my, uh, MO in high school as well of like, I didn't experience trauma to the kind of degree that Flora did by any means, but was, um, grappling with a lot of really hard stuff at the time. And so it was easier to create almost like a character for myself, um, to be and to perform in front of other people than to have to actually face head on any of the things that I was feeling. Um, so I think that that's kind of the, the way in which I wanted to play around with that trope in the book, which is that, um, Flora wants really badly to be that strong female character in the truest like comic book version of of that trope um, but as we were talking about before that's actually what leads her to make a lot of mistakes both in her personal life and um, in the investigation I think because it's it, it is fundamentally distancing herself from other people. And so she really pushes all the people in her life away from her because she kind of refuses to be anything besides this, this character, this archetype that she's created for herself. Um, and in her um, investigation, I think kind of the main moral, if, if there is such a thing of the book, is that going back to that idea of like, what is this, you know, our, our criminal justice system that is already based around violence is not working. Um, and so the whole reason why Flora is sort of uniquely positioned to um, find justice for this girl who's been murdered is because she does have greater access to empathy and compassion and grief and all the things that make us human than the people who are currently in power. And so um, the more she kind of leans into this trope of being strong and being the badass, um, the more she fucks up the investigation and the, and the more she really comes at it from this angle of sorrow and real compassion for the girl who has died and for the way in which this murder has really rocked her community. That's all the times that she actually uncovers something true. Yeah, it is interesting, like this strong female character archetype. It's it is like this patriarchal, like very male fantasy of this woman who's like a man and she's strong and she doesn't have emotions and she doesn't need anything and you know and it's like the way that you've portrayed it in your book that it is this protective shell that she's putting on that it's not real. It's something that she's trying to create to keep from having to feel the feeling she doesn't want to feel. I mean, that's what men are doing all the time, right? Like with all this macho <laughs> bullshit and that's what's ruining the world. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, she she starts off on this journey of justice or vengeance or whatever you want to call it that like the sort of core belief that is motivating her is that like the current system as it stands is not capable of 
finding justice. And then she sort of turns herself into like a rogue cop, which like, I don't, I don't think that that's actually like a great, you know, she turns herself into like the, exactly the very thing that she believed wasn't possible to actually be successful in, in finding justice in the first place. Um, which is again, this like projection of very toxic uh, masculinity. Yeah. She also made me think a lot of, um, I think we talked about this before, like on Twitter or something, um, Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. It's like yeah. a very similar kind of character where she is like trying to appear strong and badass, but has this core of vulnerability that she kind of like lashes out if anybody starts to see it um, and ends up making a lot of dumbass decisions. I mean, yes. I love Starbuck on Same. BSG. She's like... <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Queer icon, I've decided. Uh, yes. Her actual oh, sexuality. Sure. What her canon sexuality is, no idea. But uh, as far as I've decided, queer icon. Um, for sure. I don't understand how like we, we could possibly be expected to believe that she's straight. Like, I don't yeah, care. <laughs> exactly. Precisely. Um, yeah, you know, I think that um, that that's 100%, I think, what I was going for from the beginning. And I think... You know, the ending of the book went through so many rewrites, um, but it, it definitely, the way it ends currently, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but the way it ends currently definitely came later in the editorial process. And I think, oh. um, you know, it's it's been a while since I've watched BSG, and I think, you know, Starbuck does kind of, um, I don't want to say get redeemed towards the end, but I, do, I think she does start to lean in a little bit more towards her emotional vulnerability towards the end, but not really. Um, and I think that that is the way that I have the kind of final climactic scene happening. Yes, it's this like face off with the villain, et cetera, et cetera. But it also like the big centerpiece of that scene is Flora finally coming face to face with her grief um, and like really feeling it to its fullest extent. Um, and I think like that is ultimately like what made for the ending of the like I, I always started off w wanting to have this play around with these tropes of like the kick-ass girl the strong female character whatever you want to call it um I don't think I realized until pretty late in the editorial process that like what needed to happen to make the ending of the book happen was to um have her do away with that exterior to really strip down um, past that um, hard shell that she's put up. Um, that persona um, that she's been hiding behind just hasn't been serving her. And the climax is, yes, about finding out who the murderer is. There's a lot of action happening in the scene, um, a lot of danger. But the like real thing that's happening is that Flora is finally doing away with um, this lie that she's concocted about who she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what makes her such a dynamic character that we see her go through that. And she isn't just, I mean, she does kick ass, but there, there's so much more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and again, like, love Starbuck completely. Um, and I, I love that show. Um, but yeah, I think that that is where, and I don't actually know who wrote Battlestar Galactica, but I'm assuming it's a man. Um, and like, I created it. I don't know if they had women on the writing staff. Right. I, I hope so. And, and same with 
Buffy, who I referenced earlier, was also like a big source of inspiration here. Um, Veronica Mars, obviously, too, although I actually weirdly hadn't watched it until I was already like way into drafting this book. Oh, really? Uh, I haven't seen it either, but I like, oh, even, highly I don't know. I, it's the whole girl detective thing, right? Yes, yes. A, a, and adore that show. Um, but, um, you know, I think that all of those shows were created by men as much as I love those characters. I think that and all of them do grapple with, to a certain extent, uncovering that emotional vulnerability of those characters. But I think they fall short a little bit of the the true kind of like fragility um, because at the end of the day, I, th- I think as men are writing those shows, they still have to kind of uphold that kind of patriarchal idea of strength that we were talking about. Yeah, they haven't unpacked all of that for themselves in their own lives. I mean, we know Joss Whedon hasn't. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, a whole lot of problems. We don't have time for that. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a whole other show. Um, yeah, absolutely. Everybody should go to therapy is, is really kind of the message I'm trying to sell with this book. That is a great message. I, I think that about <laughs> my characters a lot. I'm like, you all need therapy. Like, it's so bad. Especially in temper. Every single person needs therapy. If they didn't at the beginning, they do by the end. It's... Oh, totally. And I mean, I think for for YA in particular, there are just so many barriers to kids getting the help that they need that like that that was important to me that she like be desperately in need of therapy and not have it um, because I think that was so much my experience when I was in high school and I know. most of the kids in my life like regardless for all different kinds of reasons whether it's access whether it's privilege whether it's you know your family doesn't um like believe in that kind of thing or you they do but you're personally afraid to talk about you know your problems that you're facing um there's all kinds of ways in which like kids are just not getting the help that they need and dealing with some pretty heavy shit and so uh, and finding their way kind of like bravely and vulnerably through all of that regardless um in a lot of cases so uh, I think, you know, I originally um, conceived of this as a series, TBD, if that actually ends up happening. But um, I always knew that book two, there's like a scene of her in therapy because the the way the first book ends, like you can't kind of come face to face with your trauma like that and not just kind of like go back to being what you were before. I want to say the way that the first book ends, if there are not sequels, I need therapy because... <laughs> I'm very upset. <laughs> I mean, you're not alone. I get like hate mail DMs maybe once a week about this. Um, oh, really? And, and I, I really, I, like I do, I feel awful about it because again, fully conceived of this as a series when I first wrote it, not know it, like with no understanding of how publishing actually works. And so um, didn't realize until pretty late at the game that it was like not a guarantee that I'd get to write more. And so now it kind of seems like I pulled a dick move at the end. Um, but was not my intention. So um, yeah, hopefully there will be more books. The story's not over. Um, but yeah, I think safe. there will. I think there'll be more books. I don't know. Let's we'll just gonna manifest that. Yeah, that's exactly. what you did by writing that ending. You're just like making it <laughs> that it has to happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I don't want to. Well, first of all, for the listeners, I don't want to make it sound like the ending of this book is not satisfying. It absolutely is. But it just like makes you want to read like 12 more books with Flora. Like oh, that was you. kind of I put it down and I was like, where's the where's the next one? Like what's going on? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That makes me really happy to hear. 
So let's talk a little bit about the queer representation in this book, because as you mentioned, Flora has an ex-girlfriend. She also has a male love interest in the book. And I know that you, like myself and both of the other hosts of the show, are, are bi. So if you talk a little bit about like why you included that element for her character and kind of like maybe what the reaction has been to that. Yeah, totally. Um you know, the funny part about it is that I did not know that I was bi or queer. I, I generally prefer queer, but I'm cool with bi too. Um, I, when I started writing the book, I always ah. knew that Flora was bi. Um, so I just knew that in the way that you, you know, when a character comes to you, you kind of know some of the things about them. Um, that was always part of who she was. Um, and so when I first started writing this, I was writing this almost from like an other outsider perspective and and started trying to think about um you know what that would look like for her experience and as i was sitting there imagining like what it might be like to be a bi teenager teenage girl um i was realizing that a lot of it was my experience as well (laughs) um so you know and all of this is happening you know i started writing uh flora in late 2014 i think um and I was already married to a man. Um, I had not really had any kind of like uh, sexual or romantic experiences with girls um, before getting married. Um, and so as I'm, there's, there's a lot of insecurity I think wrapped up in this for me. And that's part of the, one of the reasons why I feel so vulnerable about it coming out is that, um, you know, I think a lot of people who are or queer, regardless of what your experience is um, or what your past history is, grapple with um, feelings of like not being gay enough or not being queer enough. Um, oh, yeah. Especially like if you're in a straight presenting relationship. Um, and so, so many of my like fears about my own sexuality and, and how that would be perceived, it took me such a long time to claim this book as own voices or even just to like actually say out loud that this is a queer book and and pitch it in that way um but i think you know it was really important to me the way that i ultimately came to the decision to talk more openly about that is the reason why i didn't realize that i was queer until i was what 25 um is because i just like didn't realize that that was an option um and and to be clear i grew up in a super liberal family i lived in like not the most progressive of towns, but like, you know, I lived in a blue state, we'll say it that way. Um, and I, almost all of my friends were gay in high school. So it's not as though I like, and even the, my high school boyfriend was bi. Um, so it's not as though I like was not aware that bisexuality didn't exist or that, um, you know, I was afraid of, um, you know, how people would react. It was just that like there's such a complete and utter lack of representation of bi, queer, pan, any kind of like multisexual character in media that like I'm walking around in high school and I'm like, well, I know for sure that I like dudes. So mm-hmm. probably these other feelings that I'm having towards girls are like normal stuff, right? That like everybody thinks like that. Um, and it wasn't until way later that I was like, oh no, you're like for sure gay. Um, and so it was really important to me to like claim that pretty openly about Flora and about, you know, the book being queer, the book being own voices, um, because like there's kids like me now in high school who are walking around being like, well, I'm pretty sure I like dudes. So like, what's this other stuff about? Um, and there's so many more 
queer and bi characters in media, particularly in books and particularly in YA these days, it's way better now, um, but it's still not enough. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the process of um, writing a queer book has definitely be one, been one that's like riddled with insecurity for me, especially because, um, you know, in the book, like you said, she has an ex-girlfriend, so she's, she's had relationships with girls. Um, but the primary love interest in the book is a guy. Um, and so felt obviously a lot of insecurity about that as well. Um, but you know, I just, like, I had to write what was true to my experience. Um, and I think again, like so much of that just comes from like deeply internalized by erasure. And like, I don't want to be another person who is perpetuating that in the world because it's not just harming me it it harms like all the other generations of kids who came after me in the same kind of way that I was harmed by it so I just like as much as I feel like anxious about you know the people who are going to come out of the woodwork and be like the book isn't gay enough um I was just like that's I gotta just deal with that because it's too important that there are more stories like this yeah, it seems like, I mean, the representation is better now, like it's definitely getting better, but because there isn't a lot of it, people want to have like everything or like the perfect representation. I mean, I've had, like my experience with temper has been uh, like, there are a lot of bi characters in the book, but the main character is straight, but a lot of people read her as bi weirdly. Like people will talk to me about like how Kira is bisexual too. And I'm like, no, she's, she's straight, you guys. Yeah. Um, but it just feels like, like, I'm always like, should I talk about the fact that the book is queer when like only one of the POV characters is and she, her primary relationships in the book are with men, even though she like clearly states that she's bisexual, she's had past relationships with women. Yeah, it's hard to like, know, like, is it queer enough? I have a lot of the same thoughts. And it's very much like when you're bi or queer and you're in a straight passing relationship, which I am as well, like I've been married to a man for over 10 years now. It, you have to like keep coming out over and over yeah. and it gets exhausting. And I feel like I have to like, my book has to keep coming out over and over. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I get like so nervous every time I see like a queer YA releases roundup about like, is it being depicted act- accurately? Am I included in the list? Like it, it's just like a never ending <laughs> stew of anxiety yeah. about this. Um, but I mean, I, th- and, and I totally understand why, um, you know, a lot of right now, I think there's some, at least some pressure like within the queer community itself, when you have a book that with a character that is queer or bi to see them in a same sex relationship. Um, and, and I totally get why, because like, again, we, we have so little representation. People really want to, um, for, for queer books of all kinds, that people really want, are hungry for that. Um, but again, I think that's a big part of the reason why I and a lot of other queer people maybe didn't come out until later in life or realize um, their sexuality until later in life is because like, if the only way you can envision queerness or bi-ness is when it's in a same-sex partnership, then that means that there's so many people out there who just aren't going to be able to see themselves in it. Yeah. Yeah. My my new book that's coming out in the fall has like a, a female-female romance at the center of it. And I felt much more comfortable being like, this book is gay. Everyone look at this yep. gay book. Like where with temper, I'm a little like, 
well, like, you know, some of the characters are and some of the characters aren't and it's complicated and it just totally. feels, uh, I don't know, like it, but, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of queer by people in relationships with people of the opposite sex. I mean, that's like, <laughs> of course there are. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to like feel like you're enough or your book is enough and you don't it's like you don't want to take space from other things but you also want a seat at the table and that representation is important as well and it is it is complicated I totally feel you yeah absolutely and and I'm having no um publication news on it yet but I'm working on a new book right now that is um like gay female female relationship at the core of it and same feel like so much more comfortable talking about the queerness of this book um but yeah I mean I think too part of it for me is that um this book being a murder mystery and like I'm not spoiling anything here in chapter two um a queer teenage girl dies um Mm -hmm. and as much as I'm um just as sick as everyone else of the whole like barrier gaze trope um I think Kit Frick, uh, who wrote um, I Killed Zoe Spanos, that's coming out, I think, next week. She wrote this piece um, that I think was in response to um, some other article that had come out that was basically like, why are there so many dead teenage girls in, or dead women in mystery novels or thrillers or whatever? Um, and on the one hand, like, again, I, just as much as everyone else, am like sick of seeing that like I, I'm I too don't want women to be fridged or die whatever um but it's also kind of true to the real world and, and yeah. so Kifrick wrote this piece that um she talked about kind of the power of anger when it comes to um you know women authors writing books in which women and girls are murdered um and about how a lot of this is coming from a place of um, women and girls, particularly queer women and girls, particularly queer women and girls of color, are being murdered at alarming rates in the real world. And for so long, I think stories about um, those types of deaths were about men and how that um sparked their own emotional journey of like their wife Mm -hmm. dies or their sister dies or whatever um and now those stories i think are kind of being taken back by women and by queer people themselves because for flora again the the motivation here is this idea of like fuck all of you for not doing anything about this like nobody this girl died and nobody cares and nobody's going to do anything and so I have to be the one to do it um and so you know I think some of my fears around talking about this as a queer book is like it is a really hard and and painful thing at the beginning of the story that a queer character is murdered um but I think to like I wanted to write about the ways in which people of um marginalized communities are often like they're required to be the ones who care about these issues um and so like flora has to be angry about this because nobody else is going to be angry about it because um this gay girl died and the world is just kind of moving on without her um so i think you know part of my like hesitation to be super vocal about you know the queerness of the story or whatever is like 
I get why that is really hard for a lot of people to read and I like fully encourage people to, you know, not engage with that type of content if that is something that's too painful for them or not what they're looking for. Um, but I also think it there's there's room for stories in which we talk about the ways that we grapple with trauma and violence within our own communities. Yeah. And also just like if you're writing mystery, thriller, crime fiction, and you want to include queer or marginalized characters, like some of them are going to die and some of them are going to be horrible people. And some of them, you know, like we have to be able to present all the different sides. It can't just be like one, one portrayal. Yeah. I struggle with that too. Like, uh, you know, in temper, the villain is bisexual and he's terrible. He's a psychopath. I'm not saying bisexual people are like that, obviously. (laughs) I mean, some of us maybe, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, before you go, I thought we should talk a little bit about the thing that brought us together originally, which is Pitch Wars. Yes, absolutely. So uh, we were mentees in the same year, right? 2017? Okay. I was trying to remember. It's all like like, together. No, I don't know. It's all like running together in my mind. But yeah, so we were mentees and now we're both mentors and you're mentoring or you're applying to mentor again this year, correct? Yes. 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 Cannot wait. Me either. I'm really excited. It's always just like opening up the inbox and seeing, seeing what comes in. Um, Can you give us like a little sneak peek at like what might be on your wish list? I I know we can't like say for sure, but like (laughs) tiny little, well, no, Kelly's not in charge anymore. Who's going to yell at us now? (laughs) Um, is it Sonia this year? I'm not sure. I think Sonia. Um, Sonia, don't yell at us. <laughs> okay. Well, who knows if I'm even, they're even going to want me back. Um, so they like, will. This is all hypothetical at this point. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say because I was so surprised by what I ended up taking last year. Um, so last year when I was crafting my wish list, I almost did not include horror as one of the genres I was taking because I am like the world's biggest scaredy cat. Everything terrifies me. I'm still afraid of a book. Like I still have nightmares about a book that I read like six years ago that was not that scary. The first Diviner's book by Libba Bray, like something in that just like stuck with me and I still routinely like wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it and freak (laughs) myself out. Um, So I almost didn't put horror on this list, but um, I at the last minute was like, you know, I'm starting to see some like some people doing some cool stuff with horror in young adult right now. And I kind of just want to like see what I get in my inbox um, and ended up taking this like gorgeous, lush, like kind of fabulous horror story um, about a small town that has like uh, miracles happening in it and then is overrun by this like sentient black mold um and it's like disgusting and gorgeous and i was like totally blown by blown away by it it's gonna like slay everybody when it ends up on the bookshelves because it's going too soon um but uh so it's hard to say like what exactly i'm going to want um because i was so surprised by what i ended up liking last year um i think that i am always down for um like a, a super fun YA like romantic comedy that's really where my tastes go when I think about like contemporary stuff um even though I wrote a mystery book I'm not actually um 
I was never like a big mystery reader. I did a ton of mystery reading when I was writing Your Next, just like research, but um, I sort of had this like random idea about a teen detective and decided to run with it. It wasn't like this genre was in my bones. I actually like primarily used to write fantasy stuff. Um, and so I'm always looking for like super lush, um, like gorgeous, fabulous typewriting. Um, and, uh, you know, I think just at the, I, I always like, no matter what, I'm reading I'm always here for like deeply angry girls um yes. <laughs> just like totally enraged and furious about something um I yeah I was just listening to um the episode that you did with Hannah Capen about Phallus Fair and Dead Queens Club and like yeah like anything like that anything that with a girl who's just like fucking furious that's that's always at the top of my wish list I would say yeah, I'm definitely interested in angry women always in any genre. It's funny you say you'd be interested in a rom-com. I got some like really great kind of, because uh, we had a, kind of a broader, I think we're going to narrow it down a little bit this year, but last year Hallie and I had a slightly broader wish list and I got some books that were more like, I don't know, like women's fiction, romantic comedy sort of stuff. And I was like, oh man, I really want to fucking read this. This sounds amazing. But like, I don't know how to mentor this. <laughs> it was like what I wanted on my bookshelf for my personal entertainment. Because exactly. I actually do read a lot of, I mean, because you can't read dark stuff all the time. I do exactly. like reading romance and, and rom-com. But I, and I wish that I could write it. I think if I tried, everyone would just like cheat on each other and murder each other <laughs> and like end up awful. So I can't, I can't do it. But I love reading stuff like that. Same. Yeah, I actually was like quite hesitant to put mystery on my um, list last year because I was like, I I truly like lucked into writing this book. And like, it's only by the grace of God that I figured out some kind of plot for it. Um, and so the notion of having to help somebody like untangle their own mystery plot was like, like made me a little bit nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's my husband and I like to joke that like for the first book that I ever like actually wrote I, I somehow managed to just pluck out of thin hair like the single hardest genre to plot which is my like greatest weakness as a writer um, but uh, feeling feeling more confident with it now busy now you know you can do it and you can do anything yes yes exactly well thank you so much this has been amazing and um, everyone your next is available now wherever books are sold and if you're looking for a fun book to read this summer which like we all are because we're trapped inside still hopefully everyone's still trapped inside <laughs> I don't <laughs> know people home. here in Chicago they've been going out and doing all kinds of things but if you're trapped inside and reading this is a, a great book to pick up uh, your next by Kylie Shakti thank you so much Kylie thank you yeah this is so much fun really appreciate it That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.